Uh, good morning. Uh, today we're going to be wrapping up our series in the callings, and uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of stick with me. I need you to stay with me today because there's going to be a lot of scripture on the screens, and there will be some points on the screens, but there's going to be a lot of things that I'll say that you may want to make note of. Just be certain to listen. As we wrap this series, I want to begin from an excerpt uh, from a book written by Daniel Henderson called Old Paths, New Power. And the reason I want to read from this book, this excerpt, is quite honestly because none of what we've discussed over the course of eight weeks is actually new. It's not a newfangled philosophy. It's nothing that um, is something we dreamt up or came up with. In fact, what it is, it's actually ancient. And some of the things that we've, we have coined um, as tradition are, are quite the opposite, uh, rather new. We're too young of a country here in the West to have anything that could be considered old or traditional. And so I want us to recognize that what we're looking at goes back to the very first century of those who have followed Jesus, even those who walked alongside him in his ministry. And those are those, that, that's what he's given us in this. And when in Acts 6 you saw a revival break out with those very apostles who had walked as disciples and now the ministry was left in their hands. Daniel writes about it from here. This is what Henderson says. It says, referencing the revival of Acts 6, it led the apostles to enlist deacons. He said, it's never too soon to ask how much time the church is actually devoting to prayer and ministry of the word. Leaders and laity alike. Like the early apostles, their commitment ushered in a powerful new work of the Spirit. Our priorities must be scrutinized and evaluated as to the real eternal significant impact they are producing. These early church leaders knew that ministry was received, not achieved. Their understanding was not that they had to reach the world for Christ, but that Christ was ready to reach the world through them. Ambitious strategies to grow a bigger church depends largely on human effort, talent, strategy, and programming. But a life-giving environment like the early church, which saw itself as a supernatural assignment, a place for healthy, growing, and passionate disciples, depends upon and is experienced through the power of the living Christ and His indwelling Spirit working supernaturally in accordance with the Scripture. It is enacted for the glory of God alone. And by advancing the gospel. Prayer was not an escape from the thorny predicaments of ministry to them. Prayer was an engagement with the one who alone had the wisdom, the direction, the power, and the unifying grace to enable the apostles to address these concerns as opportunities. Opportunities for Christ's glory as they, as they manifested his strength through their known human weaknesses. Henderson went on and made a quote by Keeney Dickinson, and I wanted to quote it too. I love it. It's about prayer. It says, We have a tendency to pray in the context of ministry, but Jesus always ministered out of the context of prayer. How many times in Jesus' ministry did we see him disappear for 6 to 12 hours to be with the Father himself? And out of that time with the Lord, out of that time with the Father, allowing the Father to richly spend and invest back into him, he went into the world and he, found, he saw ministry needs and he accurately applied. So as, as we consider the callings, a natural question alongside, uh, what is my calling, right? Is that a question you've had during this eight weeks, maybe? Okay, maybe just me. Just kidding. 
what is my calling? Um, the next question that you may have is why is this important? And why have we spent some, some time on this? Why have we discussed this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Um, it's because of what we just read. It's because God intended and expects us to join him in, in the drawing of people to his son Christ. The one that saved you and I. The one that loves unconditionally. The one that died so that you and I didn't have to. And so as we look again this morning at our driving passage in Ephesians 4, I want to start by pointing out in verse 11 where it says, And he himself gave. And he himself gave these. These aren't callings that you earn. These aren't callings that are some special anointing or office that you can achieve. This isn't something that you, like, you, you get to choose. This is something that because God freely gives and Jesus has freely given, not because you've earned them by your hard work, it's just because Jesus is so incredibly gracious to be, to, that he is calling each and every one of us to join him as co-laborers in his kingdom. Does that make sense? So he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Um, This morning, a lot of people have been asking me, how does this look? How does this work? How does it practically play out? I want to give you an example of something that took place in my life and in a story that Heather and I experienced just a few years ago. We were having a dinner party for our small group, and uh, Heather and I agreed to host and that's what we agreed to do. We agreed to host. Uh, we let everyone else kind of plan it. And so what happened was our evangelist in our group naturally stepped up, created, created a theme, had a decorating committee, brought them over, and got the party going early. Okay? So our evangelist shows up with a theme and has the place decorated to that end. Enlisted the apostle, started talking to them, and the apostle got everyone on board with the theme, rallied them to get different dishes there, and had the entire theme carried through through the meal, had a process by which it was going to take place, and everyone knew through social media what was happening, kept communicating. Okay, so we had an evangelist who got everyone excited about the party and got us to the table. We had a an apostle who rallied us to what was going on in the vision of this party. And then our pastoral friend, she shows up with a friend that she has been praying for for quite some time because I ask that not everyone, but some people invite a few guests. I feel that when we invite all the guests, we get a little overwhelmed and we don't get to spend time with those individuals who have graced our threshold. But she brought a friend that she'd been praying for for quite some time and she brought this friend and as she graced our threshold, we just felt honored she was there. Now, by all intensive purposes, this woman was the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman who'd look for love in all the wrong places. I didn't necessarily know that in advance, but I learned that. And I knew that with the, deep, the deep-seated um, questions and hurt by which my pastoral friend kept asking me to pray for this, this person, this, this woman that was coming, I was putting two and two together. And so we sat there. We had a great time. She said, thank you for inviting me. I've never felt so welcomed. And as all the other guests left, she and my pastoral friend, my shepherd friend, they kind of stuck around. And Heather and I were there, and they were there on our side porch. And her friend said, I want to let you know I've never felt so welcomed. And she immediately proceeded into her story. The story that she's given everyone up until this point, it's well rehearsed. And uh, it's going to take several minutes to get through it. 
I, uh, about two minutes in, hearing what she said, looked at my pastoral friend. You ever look at your friend like, you know, you cut eyes at your friend? I looked at my friend and with my eyes asked, is it okay? What I, was, what I was asking was, I have something for this girl and I don't need all this information. I don't want to break her. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to stop her and tell her what's going on in her life right now and who she needs to turn to. But if it's not okay, I'll refrain. And so my friend looked at me because I was genuinely concerned. My calling is prophet. I didn't want to hurt someone. And my pastoral friend just kind of looked at me, knew what was about to happen, and goes, go ahead, I'm here, and grabbed her hand. I said, honey, I need you to stop right there. She goes, what? I said, okay, I'm not going to tell you exactly what I said to her, okay? But for all intents and purposes, John Ford, Samaritan woman, I looked at this woman in the eyes and I said, you're giving me way too much information for what I need to tell you. And if I let you continue, we're going to be caught in the weeds of your story. And that's not where we need to live. Here's where we need to be. You have had five husbands and the man that you live with now is not your husband. And I want you to know it's okay. And she looked at me like this. Like what? Like a deer in headlights. You see me. And I said, here's the thing. You know the one that loves you. You know him, but you keep putting him off. You keep pushing aside from him. He's the reason we've gathered here. He's the reason that we've been praying for you. He's the reason your pastor friend invited you. You need to turn to him because in him you'll find unconditional love. And instead of looking for love in all the wrong places, you'll finally feel a sense of value he's wanted you to have since you were dreamt into existence before your mother even knew you. And she went... Yes, like, like that's what I want. And so as my friend is holding her hand, praying the whole time, we led her to Christ right there. And immediately our teacher, Heather, my wife, stepped up and looked at her and said, okay, honey, here's what's about to happen. You formed some bad habits in life. You're gonna have a tendency to wanna go back to those bad habits. What I want you to do is do these three things, and you're already doing one of them. And that is stay close to her and looked at our shepherd friend. And you need to keep coming back here because you're welcome. We love you. And you see, this is how this whole thing works. It's not a new instituted program that has to happen. It's not that we have to start a, an institutionalized ministry by which we start engaging people. It is literally you and I walking as God has called us to organically and or in an organized fashion in our day-to-day lives, both in this room and outside of these walls. Hello? This is what this is supposed to look like. So this woman was able to stop her search for love in all the wrong places that evening. And I want to say that whether um, you find it in your life group or in here or at work or at school, the opportunity to walk as you are called, listen, it's not that you turning and, and, and walking as you're called is the point. Listen to me. I want to be clear. It's not till we turn our eyes upon Jesus. It's not that Jesus is looking for us to reach the world. He's already reaching the world. He's asking us to join him in it. 
we keep pushing him off by not doing as he's asked us to and simply joining him. He's already at work. He was already working in this girl's life. He was already drawing her to himself. We just simply got to play a role alongside him. Does that make sense? I am not the Savior. Amen? If I, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. But thank God you're not the Savior because there'd be no reason to show up. Amen? That one didn't go over as well. Amen? Like you still think you're the Okay. Like we are not the Savior. We know the one who is. When we focus more on Him and look into His face, when we tune our ear closer to His voice than we do the lies of the enemy or the fears that we have to walk as He's called, responding more to Him naturally as He's designed us to, thinking more about others than we do ourselves as He would, focused on Him, focused on those around us, We get to see the kingdom advance because we get to see the name of Jesus lifted high. There's no other name worth lifting. Amen? Paul wrote on and he told us why we do this. Okay? So stick with me. So he called some to be apostles, some prophets, some pastors, teachers, and evangelists. In verse 12, it says of Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Verse 14. Then, and only then, will we no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head Christ. From Him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love and the proper working of each individual part. I haven't done this yet. I want to read on to verse 17 and just read some more as to why Paul's explaining this is important. Therefore, I say to this and I testify to the Lord. You should no longer live as Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life in God because of their ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Anyone understand the insatiable desire for more in this life? Hands raised. Anyone see it in your neighbor's? That's a little safer. (laughs) But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off the former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit and in your minds, and to put on the new self, one created according to God's likeness. In righteousness and purity of truth. Therefore, putting away lying, but speaking the truth one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Why? So that we would walk as we were called in this new life, not the old. How? 
walk as God has designed you to be, not just simply as you do. I'm going to try to connect some dots here. I'm going to use these passages right here in Ephesians 4 and some, some other passages to help us. But here it is. Ephesians 4.12, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach union in the faith and knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Here at the fellowship, we have a mission statement that is informed by the two greatest commandments and the Great Commission. It says that we are to do whatever it takes to make disciples that gather, grow, and go. I want to take those three words... And I want to make them our points today. Gather. Every time we gather, whether it be in a large group or in small, whether in public or in private, we seek to do the two things that informed that mission statement. It is the vision that God gave every disciple who's come after him. Where do we find this? Well, in Matthew 22, it says this. Verse should be on the screen. And one of them, a Pharisee, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. And he said, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? Greatest. There is nothing greater when we use that word and when Jesus says it, there's nothing more important. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He also said, this is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So, if you look at this image that I, well, I just jacked up pretty good, but... I'm using a plate here to help me do it. Okay. All right. Under gather, you have these two commandments right here. We want to be with Jesus every time we gather. We're going to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to be with Jesus. Okay. So we're going to commune with him. All right. We also, he said, the second greatest commandment is that we are to love our neighbor as he did. Okay? Love like he intended. Love others as we'd want to be loved. Second greatest commandment is just as like this one. That we are to become like Jesus. That's what that says. Okay? Become like Jesus, but in community. We are to become like him because iron sharpens iron, correct? Right? Follow me? So we become like him in this circle, in community. This is what we are to do. At the intersection of these two circles and one more, we have kingdom, which is what Jesus talked more about than anything else in his ministry. It's what we're joining in. It's the ministry that we have. It's the advancing of the gospel. The only way that this triangle, this intersection of these three circles stays uh, like in balance is if these all grow at the very same rate. If any one of these grows larger than the others, then the other two, if we give our focus to community, it dwarfs these circles and our kingdoms out of balance. That's why when we started this series, I said, have you ever felt 
Like there's more to it than this. This is why. So kingdom, here you have the great commission that we therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. So we are to go do like Jesus. Make disciples, okay? This is our mission. Another way to say this simply is this, that we love Jesus, okay? And we love others, and we lead others to love Jesus. That's it. That's the mission and vision of every disciple who came after Jesus, who had their lives changed by Jesus, those who were saved. Amen? That is driving the very mission statement of gather, grow, go. Every time we gather, we're seeking to do this right here. But when you came in, it said that you were like a child. Anyone who has been reborn or born anew and has new life, how many of you learned by watching babies that you don't learn to run before you crawl? Right? So you must grow. That's what that says, whether you can actually see it or not. We are to grow. It says that we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, by cleverness of seed. Let us grow in every way into Christ. Okay, we are to grow. In 2 Peter, we open this series with a passage by the lead disciple under Jesus. And in this passage, we learned the way that we grow. He told us the way that we move from... uh, one position to the next, he gave us a linear approach by which we grow and process the information we learn about God, like if it's God's grace, and not just having a knowledge of it, okay? If we just have knowledge, we don't have any authority. Let me say that again. You've been taught that knowledge is a power, right? I was taught that. Knowledge is power only if knowledge is applied. So, knowledge and fruit gives us all authority. So we have to take the knowledge we have of God and start to bear fruit of it. And that's what Peter wrote about in 2 Peter, which informed Paul for Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. Here it says, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, he's given us a very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. We just read about leaving behind the past, living in the new. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement to your faith goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For, listen, this is important. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is just having knowledge of Jesus is useless. 
The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Again, this is, this is a linear approach. We have to look at what Peter is saying here as linear. It is not solely stackable. Add to this, add to this, add to this. That's not the way that we learn. We learn in circular formats, okay? And, and they did as well. A mathetase, a master disciple, was always in a growth relationship with their master, with their rabbi, if you will. And the ra- it's never the other way around. We don't, the, the mathetase, the disciple, does not dictate what the rabbi does. The rabbi always evaluates how much the mathetase is growing. Hello? So, it looks like this. It may start at knowledge. This pen is just killing me right now. (laughs) Knowledge, okay? It is circular, but it is pointing back to something. If we have knowledge of God's grace, but then we also appropriate God's grace after we go through the steps of allowing grace to grow up in us, then others will gain knowledge of God's grace, just like the story that I told you about my friend who came, the woman at the well, and had dinner at my house. Hello? Okay, so knowledge of God leads to awe of God. In here, we call it self-control. If we just grow up in our knowledge, we become academic faith. The Bible says, if you have solely an academic faith, you are useless. Who wants to be useless? Not me. Okay. So I want to be fruitful. I want the knowledge of God's grace to awe me, okay, and let it blow my hair back a little bit. But if I just let that happen, I'm going to become solely a a Jesus cheerleader, okay, signing up for camp and signing up for religious events where we sing about Jesus and we just have a big pep rally in his name. It's more than that to it. We have to apply the spiritual disciplines of Sabbath, scripture, silence, solitude. We have to walk with these elements. These were intended so that we could be with Jesus when we put them into practice, that we would become like Jesus and eventually do as Jesus has called us to, which leads us to action. Two action words, doing and being. We are not in the business of simply doing arbitrarily. God has called us to become like him. So that means we are called to be like him and let our being inform our doing. This is your calling. This is what we've been talking about for eight weeks. And once we know our calling, we are then accountable Uh, accountable, okay? We are then accountable to live as Christ has called us to. So knowledge leads to all, self-control. In this scripture, it says action, endurance, that you do this till you go meet Jesus. Continue. That you're accountable, godliness, that God is making each of us, like we just read in Ephesians, to look most in his likeness. We worship him 
by walking as we're called. We're accountable to do that. So instead of making it something simple on the surface, at the heart of who you and I are, we are called and accountable to walk as he's called us to and move forward in joining those around us because you heard, like, I needed other people at the party. Do you need other people at the party? I only had one job. I needed everyone else to help best reflect Jesus to this girl. So we need each other. We become like him in community. At each turn, at each point, we can spin right back out in our selfishness and go right back to knowledge, thinking knowledge is power. Oh, thank you. That's great. Y'all thank Scott and thank him for blue. We are to move forward, add to, add to, add to, not stackable, but linearly in a circle. Y'all give it up. Man, y'all are amazing. Thank y'all so much. So good. So we are accountable, godliness, to reflect the image God has given us, which leads to mission. Mission. You are not your own. And I'm not the Savior. You're not the Savior. We are here to reflect Him. And we do that by focusing most on how, how we can please Him and make Him smile in our daily lives, walking as we're called and accountable, and thinking more about the needs of others than we think about the needs of ourselves. Someone say amen. amen. Everyone here I know is other people oriented more than you are selfish, but we have a whole world that's really selfish. And if we would just think more about them, they'll get to see Jesus. Hello? Okay, another one didn't land so well. So we're moving forward to appropriation. Or if you read that text, it says, add to your brotherly affection, your mission, other people oriented, love. 1 Corinthians 13 if you speak with the tongues of angels, but you have not, you're a clanging symbol. It means nothing. And if you notice the beginning of that passage, it says, add to your, no- your goodness knowledge. Appropriation is the combination of love and goodness. First Corinthians 4 says, I mean, sorry, 1 John 4 says that God is love. And how many of you have experienced the good of God that we learn in Psalm 34, that he tastes and see that the Lord is good, okay? So appropriating God's fruit is out of the love that he is and out of the love that he has given us, we do. So it's more than just having a knowledge of God's grace and hoarding it. We let it go through the entire cycle so that others become aware of God's grace because he's revealing that grace through us, those who have trusted on his name. Hello? And then we go. I'm going to erase Jesus there for a second. Sorry. Let me move this. Then we go. Okay. Going is walking in your calling. Going is walking as you are called. See, these things all work together. And it's not a ton of work that has to be done. What, what has to be done is a ton of submission. We have to trust him more than we trust ourselves. 
How many of you are pretty talented? It's okay to raise your hand to that. I know you've told me. But we want to trust that the talents that were placed in us came from him, not from anyone else. So, verse 14 and 15. They will no longer be little children tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching and every doctrine. That they're going to grow up. And Ephesians 4, 16 says, From him the whole body has been fitted together and knit together by every supporting ligament. And it promotes growth of the body by building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, we go and we lead others to love him or we do like Jesus by walking as we are called. It's worship. It's worship of him. It's worship of Jesus, not of yourself. Too many of us don't understand what I mean when I say I had an anxiety to teach this series because I believe that what happens is everyone gets so excited to hear about their calling, they forget about everyone else and their need of everyone else and it becomes solely about the calling. When you turn your eyes in on yourself, you're worshiping yourself. You're not worshiping the one who gave you said call. You're missing the point. Remember the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Remember that passage? Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. This is not that we look to ourselves, we look to our call or some special anointing, some special office. This is we turn our eyes to him. And we, we simply try to respond in our weaknesses, 2 Corinthians 9 through 11 says that we are weak, but when we're weakest, he is strongest. In our weakness, we reveal him to the world because his strength and love pours out of us. How many of you say, hey, I have a weakness? Just one, but you got one, <laughs> right? How many of you have heard us talk about the lies that the enemy uses to cripple you? To point you back to your insecurities and weakness. These are the things that we, we pray against. We, we're never going to lose them. We just have to trust the truth of the Lord over the lies of the enemy. Hello? So we can walk as we are called. I want to read on in this passage. And I'm, going, I'm actually going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 12. It's okay. So who's following with screens? Here we go. For just as the body... This is a cohesive passage... Just as the body is one and has many parts, but all the parts of the body, there are many, <clears throat> there is one body, and so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one, but many. If the foot should say to the hand, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is it not there is, that for, is it not for that reason any less part of the body? No. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is it for that reason not a part of the body? No. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Whole body and ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts. Remember, he himself gave the party just as he, Jesus, wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or the head to the feet, I don't need you. 
On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker and indispensable, and on those parts that we consider less honorable, we clothe them with greater honor. Our respectable parts are treated with great respect, which the respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, no schism, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored, all rejoice with it. How many of you notice that if one of us suffers, we all suffer? Do we actually live like that? How many of you, you've gotten in your small group and you hear that prayer request, someone's really struggling, and you go, well, I hate that for them, that's terrible. But if you actually listen and you listen to what they're saying, and you listen to hurt, how many of you can identify with hurt? How many of us have probably been through maybe what they just prayed about? Some of us have. And we can actually help. We can come alongside. And we can walk as we're called. So here's, here's how I'd say that we simple wrap up again. Simple point. Evangelists. Go back and watch the sermon. Go back and look at the life group notes. Evangelists gather to hear. They gather people innately. They can just do it so that people can hear about Jesus and be free. Apostles. They rally people to live like Jesus. Prophets. Tell the truth about Jesus. Pastors. Or shepherds. Make it safe. I'm not going to write it out because I didn't write it out for any other. They make it safe for us to follow and to trust Jesus. Do you hear how each is different? Do you hear that? Do you hear how each needs the other? And lastly, teachers. Teachers. Help us step by step to execute the vision of how to be like Jesus. Each needs the other, but each needs Jesus first because that's who this is all about. And when we will walk as we are called as worship unto Jesus, we have a tendency naturally to make him known to the world around us. And how many of you want to make him known to the world around you? Well, if you don't, I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and we're to do like Jesus and to reveal the one who saved me, the one who saved you, the one who loved unconditionally to the rest of the world. And here's the thing. Maybe there's someone here today that just needs to hear that. Maybe today you're here and you don't know Jesus. In fact, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places and you didn't know that there was someone who actually gave their life so that you could live. Maybe you've heard a lot about Jesus, but you didn't know the, the truth about who Jesus was, that he gave up his only life. Maybe you've played that game with yourself. Who would take a bus from me? You don't have to play that game. Scripture says he did. So you could live. Let me play one game with all of us. How many of you are imperfect? Raise your hands. He died for those imperfections. And so... 
He died so that you and I could live. And today, if that's you, you say, I need to be loved. And I, I don't need to clean it up. I just need to be able to come as I am. I just want to be able to trust him for who he is. There are people in this room that are ready to help you. There are people in this room who know their calling, and I'm going to challenge them to walk as they're called. Hey, it's really hard to walk as you're called in your school, your office place, outside these walls if you won't practice it right here in a place where it's safe and where we celebrate at the end of the service people making a step towards Jesus. Amen? So there are going to be prayer partners on the side. There are crosses here for your prayer requests, and there's an altar here for you to respond. But today, if you're an evangelist, I want you praying right now about that person that was brave enough to walk in but already feels forgotten. I want you to pray about that and go to that person and let them know you saw them. Hey, this morning, if you're a a prophet and God has burdened you for someone here who is struggling and hurting at the deepest level, they just need to hear the truth of Jesus, will you go and will you pray that truth to them? In the context of prayer, remember, we minister out of the context of prayer. Let God reveal to you where he's already working. If you're here and you are an apostle and you're watching someone struggle to live like Jesus because they keep trying to be legalistic, they keep trying to do what, you know, this check, do this and don't do this, but it's not adding up. Will you go to them, hold their hand and say, hey, I just want to pray for you because I think, I think the Lord is trying to speak to you today. Maybe you hear and you go, you see someone who's trying to take that step towards Jesus, but they're just terrified to do it. Pastors, will you make it safe for them? And to all my teachers in the room who can see the next step for the broken and the hurting that are in their lives, people in this room whom God is putting in your heart right now because you know the steps that need to be taken so they can move forward, will you just go to your brother or sister? Will you, even if that person is a stranger, but they walked in and you have not been able to stop thinking about them since they came in, will you go to them and help them to see the steps that need to be taken so they can walk towards Jesus, take that next step towards him. Amen. Can I just say this as we close? I know what it's like. I know what it is like to come on Sunday morning and do everything you possibly can just to get yourself in the room. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It took everything just to get me here. And I'm here to receive. Amen. But part of being saved and part of being a part of the body of Christ and walking as we're called is also giving away because you've already received and walking as you're called. It's about thinking about others and all that it took for them to get here because you identify with how hard it was to get here. It's about you walking as you're called and going to that person. It's not about you. Just as much as it's not about me.